Hello and welcome to another edition of the RTE Rugby Podcast. We are heading down towards the BKT United Rugby Championship semi-final, Champions Cup final coming up next week as well. AIL final just last weekend. It's been a, a busy old time and I've got Bernard Jackman and Eddie O'Sullivan with me as well. And Eddie, I was just saying to Birch, Affair, just before you arrived on, on the call as well, I'm I'm glad we're recording this podcast today rather than yesterday. I uh, My voice wasn't holding up too well after a, a busy Sunday at the Aviva Stadium cheering on Terenure in the AIL final. The uh, the celebrations went uh, long into the night down in Lakelands on Sunday evening. And I saw you were on Against the Head on Monday evening talking about it. And uh, it was like, I'll just even speak from my own point of view. Like I'm a, I'm a blow into that club, but... But my God, the, the celebrations down there on Sunday evening were something else and off the back of an incredible victory. Yeah, I mean, it's always great when a club gets their first AL championship. And it's um it usually takes a good few years to get it done, you know. It's not an easy climb to the top of division one A. Um, I just thought again though, the the quality of the rugby on Sunday was outstanding. Um, you know, and I think the IL has always been the IL final, I've done a number of them with RT, they've always been a fantastic day out. Great atmosphere. I'm delighted they put it into the stadium, the you know, the the Viva, because even though it's not full, it's still a great crowd. There's a great atmosphere. Uh, it's a great deal. But then again, apart from that, the quality of the rugby is superb, you know. I, I I'm thinking back over the years, all the IL finals that they've had, and I can't think of an AL final that didn't live up to it, you know. There's always great drama. Now I suppose in the end, turn your one pulling up, nobody saw that coming. Certainly the first 20 minutes I was worried for Turn Your, as I'm sure you were. Um but once they once they got the those breaks, they really hammered them home. But it's a I, I've been saying this during the year, I mean I mentioned a couple of the podcasts, the quality of rugby in DIL, not not just one A, one B. I'm not saying that because I was involved in it, but I was pleasantly surprised at of the, the caliber of rugby that's played. Um it's great entertainment, but I, I think the problem for DIL is is that it's almost uh it's got its own ecosystem running underneath the professional game and it gets very little attention in the media because the truth of the matter is that there's so much rugby on now. Professional game sucks all the the oxygen out of the room when it comes to talking about rugby, um. And I think people who are not you know engaged below professional rugby wouldn't have any idea what's going on. But it's a it's a tremendous um tremendous league, great quality uh uh to the games and and great entertainment. So it's a pity, I suppose, that we can't give it more coverage. But I suppose the truth of the matter is is that you know. The professional game is, is sucks all the auction as I'd expect. And again, as well, I think the demographic, the huge increase in the number of people watching rugby, um, are people who won't have attachment to any club. You know, they just follow Leinster or Munster or Connors or Ulster and they they don't go to club matches again because again, you know, if you're gonna support Leinster, Munster, Connacht or Ulster, you're gonna have your one of your weekend days gone. And you know you you're not going to burn a second weekend day on on, on an AL match unless you're connected with a club, so it's just the way it is. But I, I worried for the for for the AL for a number of years. I thought it might die on the vine, but I have to say, um, there's no sign of that happening. But it goes into it comes down to a huge amount of of uh, of work that goes on in the clubs right through the the underage groups, but even up into the the, the executives and the clubs. How much work these people put in to keep the club in a healthy state. And it's all done for nothing. It's all done for free. So it's it's fantastic. But uh, I suppose uh, all you can do is keep plugging it and hopefully more people will will uh, will, will connect with club rugby. But it's certainly something that, that I think is is uh, in rude health at the moment, which is great. Yeah, that's the thing, Birch, as well, isn't it? Like in, Eddie was saying, there were probably a few years where maybe you might have feared that the club scene might have been really kind of dying out in Ireland. But a crowd of 8,000 there on on Sunday would uh, would lead you to believe it's 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 up on the other way on the curve it's heading. Yeah, both clubs brought unbelievable colour again. I mean, last year's final, um, particularly Terenure because it's, it seems to be, you know, newer for them um, and uh, obviously they have that connection with, with the school sort of a huge amount of uh, youngsters but as you said, you're a blow in there, Neil, but if you look at that team, there's a lot of mm. um, mixture of people from different different areas. It's not just a team that's, you know, old boys from Turner College. And I think the mix of that is is good on the field. It's obviously good off the field in terms of the social side of it. Um I agree with Eddie, it's it, it's it's difficult. Obviously some of the games are being streamed now and, and I've caught up on a few of them that way. 
Um, maybe maybe now the time to talk about our, a rugby goal, rugby goal. You know, GA <laughs> goal, GA goal is dominating. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's not start a war. Let's not start a war. It's too too much rugby on TV apparently. Um, no, it's a it is a good product and um, fair play to Terenure. They've been on a, a incredible um journey to use the cliche, but they they were down they were down under under heels, you know, um, whatever five six seven years ago and. They made a plan, and um, it's in route hell now. And I suppose it shows what what can what can be done. Uh, and enjoy the place, and it's not just for that team. And you're you're down there, you're playing there as well. But I, I've been over there, um, at a, at a special abilities uh, rugby day. You know, um, you know they do mums tag like they they really are um trying to get as many people uh participating, whether it's playing or a different form of playing or volunteering and and uh, that's the entire fire but uh, I think Terenure deserve um the plaudits this week because obviously they've they've gone and won it for the first time. Yeah. And it's funny like we've come, even just to, to mention the game itself, Eddie, it's funny. I was I was in there and you're talking 34, 35 minutes gone. It was 10 6. It had been 10 3 and like I'll be totally honest, all the people I was around, there was just this feeling of Jeez, this isn't this isn't going too well. This could be a, a long afternoon because it looked like Clontarf were just kind of walking all over them for a lot of that first half. And all of a sudden we were walking back up the steps at halftime and every single person I was speaking to, all of a sudden it's 18, 10 and everyone's just going, what's after happening here? Like, yeah. what, what in the name of God's after going on? And it just shows how, how quickly a game can flip on its head. Yeah, I, th- I thought in the first 20 minutes it looked ominous for Sharon York because Clontarf were really... Playing really well, taking their chances on the front foot. They were pulling Terry all over the place, getting half line breaks, quick rock ball. But I think that intercept couldn't kind of rattled Clontarf. You know, it was a gift, kind of a gift out of nothing. Clontarf on the front foot, and suddenly they threw an intercept. And then that 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 kick over the top that bounced up. You know, those two moments kind of probably flipped the switch for Terry you know. Um, and they didn't look back, you know, but they're finals, they're once offs, you know, and you you can you can lose a final. On a on a day out, you know, for no other reason than the bumps of the ball. But I, I think, to be fair to Terenure, once they got their nose in front, they really, you know, they really dug in and and, and they pulled away. So there's no complaints. But um, yeah, I'm sure the first twenty minutes was very uneasy. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uneasy movement in Terenure ranks in terms of what's going on here. Because I think at that stage, if you if you if you after twenty minutes you would have said you couldn't see how the way back for Terenure, not because of the scoreboard, because just. Contar for dominating pretty much every facet of the game. Um, and uh, but look, their finals that they can flip like that. But it's still a great entertainment. Like it's great rugby. I mean, the quality of the rugby is very, very good. I mean, I, like some I've seen IL games this year that I would say are better than some URC games, you know, in terms of if you've ever been if you were just a neutral st- standing there watching it, the entertainment value in terms of the ball being thrown around and what the players are trying to do and the quality of the tries. Um, you get a bad you get a bad URC game and it it's hard watching sometimes, you know. Because I think DIL has been a breath of fresh air to watch. And as Bernard said, all these games are streamed now. You can get them live on a Saturday afternoon if you're prepared to hit the link and sit down and look it on your laptop. Um, and I know people outside of Ireland watch those who have affiliations with clubs in Ireland, you know. Um, and I know even for example the, our hooker this year from Hawaii, Steveni Lombard, um when he was uh, playing on a Saturday afternoon with Bucks, his his folks were up very early in the morning in Hawaii to watch him playing live, you know. So like it's it's uh it's it's there's plenty of access to it. It's just I suppose making people aware of it because mm-hmm. you're not a rugby head in the sense, you know. Um, it's 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 a, it's it's obviously harder to engage or to find time to do it. But I think we just keep plugging the IL because it's really getting going from strength to strength. And just finally, then on us the. The one person we haven't mentioned so far, Birch, Caelan Dooley, 11 kicks out of 12, 30 points. And some of those, like, I mean, he wasn't just tapping over conversions from under the post. Some of those were absolute bombs from out towards the touchline. Yeah, look, it was phenomenal. And if, I think, look, he was obviously man of the match. And um, it was a key difference, to be honest, because once Turner got a bit of a lead, obviously, um, Tarf scrum. What given it was obviously dominant, but wasn't giving them the access points and their lineup malfunction. But so, you know, Turner implemented a pretty smart kicking game, um, and then got after Tarf at the breakdown, and he just punished them. And suddenly they went two scores ahead, three scores ahead, all down to him without having to do anything really. Sorry, 
but having to do a huge amount of attack, they also defended well. Um, and it was it was it was amazing to see. It is the best kicking performance I've seen at club level, I think ever. Uh, you know, um, and still a young player. You know, um, played with Ben Healy obviously in school. Ben Healy was a goal kicker. You know, um, you had no chance. If ben Healy went off. He was he was going to take on the the kicking, um, for Lenstall. So no, it's great. It's great to see him have his his day um in the spotlight and performing so well. Yeah, uh, congrats to them and and fair fair play to Clontarf as well. It's been a, a hell of a season from them, and I'm sure. Those two signs are going to have uh, quite a few more battles over the years ahead. On to the, to the URC. We're into the semifinals this weekend. The big one on Saturday evening, Leinster against Munster, is half past five at the Aviva Stadium, live on RT2 and RT Player, and also commentary on RT Radio 1. Um, Eddie, to start out with, we'll talk about Munster and Leinster as a whole, and then I might break it down into Leinster's win against the Sharks and Munster's win against Glasgow, but... With Leinster potentially rotating the squad a little bit more ahead of a Champions Cup final next week, do you see this as a as a potential opportunity for Munster to to strike or, or catch them off guard? Or do you see Leinster's like is complacency not an issue for this Leinster team? I don't complacency is ever an issue with Leinster. Like we they've been rotating their squad the whole season, um, without any ill effects. And I know every week we talk about this New look Leinster team. This is another variation on the team. Um, but they're pretty ruthlessly efficient and they get it done. Um now, I I think I think I think Leo has a little more rigor on this week, but it's hard to look past the monster injury list. Like that was so attritional last weekend that it's lost so many players up in, in Glasgow. Uh, it's a very expensive semi-final or quarter final for them to get to the semi-final. So I think if, if if Munster were coming full bore on Saturday with everybody on deck and firing all cylinders, I think Leo would have to recalibrate and say, okay, like look, it's a it's a local derby, it's Munster against Leinster. You take nothing for granted. I think he's a little more wriggle room now with the Munster injury list. But it's having said that, I still think he, he's he's they've always done this and probably more so this week, is the spine of the team is going to be very strong. You know, if, and and then the bench is going to be anyone who might have started. Because you know they're of their experience. If they don't start, they're on the bench. So you've got kind of the bomb squad coming off the bench if things get a bit tricky. Um, so like Leinster have got this right so many times throughout the season. I can't see them getting it wrong this week. No, you never know in a game. Like, I mean, look at the game last week from Munster. That red card changed everything for for, for that game, you know. So Leinster go in and they pick up a red card or something. And again, I'm not talking about you pick up a red car for 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 a lazy clean-out or a lazy ta- a lazy attempt to tackle. You get a red card, so you've got to factor all that in. But I just don't. I don't think Leo would rotate as much if it wasn't Monster. But it's fact it's Monster. He's got to be a little more careful. And like, let's be honest. No matter who Monster put into a red jersey next Saturday, it's, it's they're going to go f- like full bore. They're going to like there'll be nothing left after eighty minutes. You can take that to the bank. They'll just go for it, like, and they'll feel that you get into Leinster here and just rough them up, not in any particular way, except just play as Monster can play when they're up for it. Like we've seen Monster pull out these big performances, and I, I don't think last weekend was probably a big performance from Monster in a sense. Like I think, you know, if you go back last season where they they took Toulouse to a penalty shootout in the Heineken Cup, you know that that was those days out when when people didn't give Monster a chance, and suddenly they come out. And they almost upset the apple cart against one of the top teams in Europe. So, like, you've got to put that into your 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 calculations when you're playing Munster. So, I I think Leo will will his hands are tied with injuries, no question about that. Uh, he will rotate a bit, but I think he'll be a, a, a lot more careful by the fact that it's Munster. Um, and he'd be well advised to do that because Munster, as I say, will come and they'll. Bring two barrels, no matter who's in the red shirt. And Birch, if if we're talking personnel, like, could, do you see, for example, could you see anyone who's starting next week in a Champions Cup final starting this week? No, I, I, I don't. I, I think it's a significant change. I think anyone who's in a keeps. I don't see Dan Sheen playing. I don't see Ross Byrne playing. Um, I don't see Gibson Park starting. Um. Uh, I don't see Tyke Furlong starting, so I, I think 
it will be significantly weaker. I, I think this is, I, I, it's an awful pity from a Munster point of view that they had four HIAs and they all failed to get back. Um, because realistically, this is the perfect week to play Leinster. You know, let's t- I think Leinster pretty much will finish top of the URC every year from the, for the foreseeable future. It's just, that's the nature of it. So if you're going to beat them, you need to get a little bit of luck, obviously, because uh, you're going to have to go away from home And in terms of timing. And, and the week before a Champions Cup final, when Leinster are, are hell-bent on trying to win that, is theoretically an, a, an advantage uh, because they will have to rotate. They will potentially have... Some of the players will have an eye elsewhere. But the fact that Munster coming to town, um, I think, focuses the mind. Uh, players who play this weekend will have an eye on you know, obviously trying to get into this match day squad for the week after or the, the week after that if, the, if they get through. And they have been incredibly consistent. And and as Eddie said, Leo has managed to... Selection is, a, is an art in itself. And they've got that selection right so often himself and Lancaster. So um, I think if Munster could obviously beat them... It, it, yeah, the way I look at it is for Ulster and Munster, they probably need a trophy to bring it to the next level. And obviously the most obvious one is a URC. But then... You got to kind of catch Leinster on the hop. Um, either the week before a Champions Cup final or the week after, which we saw last year, and the Bulls did. Um, so it is a massive opportunity for for Munster, but obviously badly hampered by by the players they're losing. But I think Roundtree, I think Roundtree would be incredibly happy the way their waveform has improved, um, the grit they're showing, the um, they're showing good game management. And it's a bit of a freebie for them, really, as long as they don't blow up and get smashed. Um, I think that they'll go into this preseason on um with a, you know a lot happier around where they're going. Obviously, they still need some recruitment, but if they could beat Leinster and, and obviously get to a, a a final, which would probably be in Cape Town. Um, the selection there, Bernard. I I, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I think Leinster have to be a little bit careful around their front row selection. Yeah, perhaps you know. I mean, um, I think Milne was under savage pressure last week. Yeah. Um, and I think I thought. They took their time getting the Shepherds crook out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one I thought is that, like Healy packing down on the tight head side, uh, was didn't that the experiment didn't work? I mean, yeah. it was one scrum where where, where Keane Healy got his pilot's license, you know. So I, I like, I I just think Monster are gonna go after him in the scrum. No, I'm not saying Monster are world beaters in the scrum, but if, in a game like that, in a pair like the set piece. If it just went wrong for you on the day, you know, like just say, once yeah. they got an edge in the scrum and the referee was kind of leaning Monster's way and suddenly you're mm. picking up two or three penalties, four penalties at the scrum, you know, uh, so that can that can change momentum in a game. You know, we know yeah. that, like, like, like if if your if your line of misfires, you know, that can things like that can unravel you no matter how good you are. So I just think it's an area where he'd be very careful. I I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went with with. Uh, and I know he's probably trying to save Furlong, but I would I wouldn't be totally shocked if he went with Furlong. Um, he he might he he probably planned to play him last week and after this week, but with with Munster and the way the scrum is, he might go with Furlong, and he, he might even go Port as well just to make a statement. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's a tricky one. It's an area that obviously Munster will hope to to get an advantage. I think he'd probably go Healy and Alatoa. Um, yeah. And I think that would make sense then because both of them would get 50 minutes or 60 minutes and be in a better position than the, the week after. I think this is, that, this is the kind of game that Alatoa was signed for, you know, um, to be able to come in, give them an international player uh, who can do a job like um, like Michael Bent did for a long time, you know, when, when Furlong's unavailable. But I agree with you. I don't think it's a game that it's a game to, to play Milne or, you know, a young tight head. Um, they can't give Munster any soft options into it. No, they can't. They can't give Munster an an entry point to upset things, yeah. and and one of those entry points in a game of rugby is a set piece. Your set piece wobbles at all in a knockout game, like that could be the cause of of the wheels coming off. Now we're 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 kind of clutching our straws here a bit, you know, because we know Lens is so strong. But knockout rugby, you know, local derby, Munster, Leinster, Munster looking for an edge. Just don't. You might make sure when you're going out. No what team you pick. They're not getting an, an easy edge anywhere, and I would have thought I would think the scrum is one he'd have to think long and hard about. I, he may not start far long, but I wouldn't be shocked if he did. That's what, what I'm saying, just to, yeah. to batten down that hatch and make sure nothing goes awry there. Um, but look, we'll see. I mean, we're uh, all this speculation, but I still think Munster. I agree with Bernard. 
given especially given Munster's injury profile, <clears throat> they need they need something to go wrong for Leinster. Like there's something has to misfire for Leinster. And look, that could be a card, a red card or something, you don't know. Um but like on form and on 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 paper, uh, I think like it's hard to back against Leinster. But as having said that, it's you just does one days out and Munster are, are king of those one days out. Like give them a chance, and they'll they'll take you to the woodshed. So I I think it's an intriguing game. Um and and it it's I think even if Munster lose, you know they want to sign off on a big performance. You know so they'll be Munster will be happy. If Munster can make it a one-score game in the last 10 minutes, that's a good day out for Munster in this circumstances. And then you have a chance of sneaking it in the last 10 minutes. That's that's what you do when you're going into a game and you're an underdog, especially in a knockout game. You stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game. And if you get into the last 10 minutes in a one-score game, now now's your chance to to, to land a knockout punch. And, and that's all it is. It's, it's a knockout punch in, in a, in a, in a t- winner-takes-all winner scenario. That's what Munster will be playing for. And that's all they'll want to do on Saturday. And then the other part of it, Birch, we mentioned scrum. It's going to be very important. Leinster have been a little bit hit and miss there this season. For Munster, though, we also mentioned cards. And, you know, it, a game can swing, for example, if Leinster were to get a card or two. But crucially, Munster will have looked at the game against Toulouse and the game against Sharks over the last two weeks and seen Leinster score 28 points against Toulouse during yellow card periods and score 21 points against the Sharks last week in yellow card periods. It's, I mean, completely obvious in stating here like that, you know, if you're going to play against Leinster, keeping 15 players on the pitch is, is going to be pretty vital to that. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely key. And if, um, it's it's perfectly set up for, for Roundtree to be able to give that message, you know, with real clarity and, and show the examples of, of how Leinster have taken games away from people in that 10-minute period. Uh, it's been incredibly impressive how they've been able to up the ante and exploit that space that an extra man um, gives you because a lot of other teams don't, you know, um, certainly not in the same manner. So um, it's going to be a tough one for Frank Murphy. Yeah, Both teams, in fairness to them, um, very rarely get, get caught out with head-high shots. You know, uh, both teams' tackle tech is good. Um, but the way both teams attack the breakdown, you know, you just need be a little bit off and there can be head high contact um, in those teams and, and and that could give um either team an entry point but obviously as we've seen you know any any yellow card would be you'd imagine lethal for for Munster but they can back off Leinster as well they got to be they got to play on the edge they got to take Leinster out of their rhythm and if you look at you know um the Glasgow okay the red card definitely helped Glasgow but you look at the Sharks game the Stormers game it was Kind of monster of old, um, where they just upset the opposition, um, t- get them distracted a little bit, uh, take them out of sync, and um, and that's something that obviously would have to happen this weekend. The interesting thing for me about next weekend is what monster like last week. Monster threw a curveball at Glasgow, mm. and we covered it against the head on Monday night. They played a, a blitz defense. If you remember down in Limerick, um, the yeah. game that Glasgow won comfortably, monster played a drift defense, which they've been doing pretty much all season. They come up and then they make a read and they push with the ball, uh, so it's it's a softer defence, but it's very effective. Most teams use it anyway. I mean, the only teams that use the blitz more than anybody else are the South African teams, and it, the blitz is 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 a higher risk strategy because if it works is brilliant, if it fails is catastrophic. If you break a blitz, it's a try. End of. And we saw that near the end of the game where Ty Bourne came flying out the line to make a tackle uh, in Glasgow, and he, he he didn't stop the football, and Glasgow scored the only try of the game of the the only try of the game. So, like, question is, will Munster bring the blitz next Saturday against against Leinster? <clears throat> the tricky, the, the danger with that, in my book, is that, like, Leinster will not be spooked like Glasgow were by a blitz defence. Like, if they go out expecting a drift and Munster blitz them, the first 10 or 15 minutes, they might wobble a bit trying to get to terms with it, but eventually they'll, they'll, they'll find a solution. And they've picked, they've picked South African teams apart all year against the blitz. You know, so they know exactly what to do against the blitz. So will Munster stick with the blitz and try and upset them, which is very effective. If it works, it's brilliant because it actually psychologically spooks the, the attack. Or will they go back to the drift defense, knowing that Leinster could score in the drift as well? So I'd be that's the first thing I'd be looking at. Um and as regards to the yellow card, I think um I actually think Leinster have a yellow card game plan if you watch them. Mm. 
most teams have a simple one where you get a penalty and a yellow card, you stick it in the corner and it's 40, 50 against 14, five metres out and you go and maul them. If the maul doesn't score, you collapse enough of the defence to open up the the the, the, uh, the outside channels and you either go through them or around them out there. But uh, if you watch Leinster when they numbers down, they they relentlessly attack the short side and you have to resource the short side. So you're down a player and you resource the short side. If you over-resource the short side to plug it up, you're suddenly then going to be caught in the middle of the field and either go through you or around you. So I watched them use that short side really effectively where they, they flood it. And if you number off, um, you sometimes number off too much, get caught a couple of times, they get you. Mm-hmm. And Sorry. Very well thought through. And they, they, they know what they're trying to do all the time with to you. Now, whether they get it done or not, it's another thing. But you can be sure they know what they're trying to do. It's not making it up as they go along. It's not a like let's see what happens next. It's well structured and, and they're ruthlessly efficient then when they get chances. So I think Monster next weekend, will they blitz? Will they go back to drift? Very interesting to see what happens there. And as I think I agree with Birch that they just can't Monster have to keep 15 players on the field. Or that could like one yellow card could could kill Monster on, 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 on Saturday. In a final word, who are you calling, Leinster or Munster? Well, for me, I have to call Leinster. Like, I'm much say, I'd I'd like to say Munster can really get this done. You know, I'm not saying it can't, but on all the evidence in front of us is that Leinster would have to kind of mess up for Munster to beat them. That's the sad truth. But that's where that's who Leinster are. You know, they're arguably the best team in Europe at the moment. Um. So, and Munster have one hand tied behind their back with injuries, but. You know, of all the teams, Monster are capable of those one, one, one moment knockout punches. But it's going to be take a hell of a punch on Saturday to, to knock Lance Road. Birch, do you see a shock on Saturday? Yeah. No, I, I would have fancied Monster a lot more if they had have had those injuries. So I, I agree with Eddie. I think Leinster, Leinster should be good enough. They haven't. No one's been able to really, you know, finish them off this year. And, and I think this group was playing with a lot of confidence. So yeah, I go Leinster. All right, so that is half past five Saturday evening. Um, the other big game to talk about is probably Connacht and Ulster and breaking off then into into Connacht and and Stormers this Saturday afternoon. But but Eddie Connacht fifteen ten winners against Ulster in the quarterfinal last Friday evening. Uh, a surprise more so than a shock result, I would say. But a game that was ultimately won and lost at the breakdown. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, like. It was it was an intriguing game to watch actually because the ebb and flow of it was all in Connacht's favour. You know, I mean, you really, I I was convinced uh, near the end that Connacht were going to lose it, mm. and based on the reason thought they were going to lose it is because usually in a rugby game, if you get uh, opportunities to win a game and you don't take them, it inevitably comes back and bites you on the backside. You know, and Connacht could have won that game by another. 15, 20 points, like, and that's not being that's not that being unrealistic because if you look at the first half, Connacht um basically had they uh, had basically three try scoring opportunities. There was the obvious major line break, uh, which was like all 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 Farrell had to had to do um was basically pass the ball to Caelan Blade and he was under the sticks for seven points. And for some unknown reason. It's a penalty five meters out. Opted to tap it, which is fine. It's in every a lot of teams are doing that now. They knocked the ball on, like, and then they had one other really golden opportunity. They had a five meter scrum. They ran a starter play, and in fairness, Connacht are usually very good in their starter players. They threw the ball on the ground, and Leinster or Ulster almost broke out and nearly scored off it. So you had those three guilt edge opportunities, where a Troy would have really made a massive statement. It took none of them. Then the second half, they dominated the. Her quarter almost like I don't think Ulster got a, got an access to the kind of twenty two in that whole third quarter. Now to be fair to Ulster, that third quarter they defended really really well. Kind of couldn't break them down, but you felt really other than I think it was a scrum penalty that Kind of got they didn't have any any dividend. So then in the sixty third minute, after all that pressure from Connacht, Ulster score a try and convert and it's a two point game. You're thinking oh there's no way like Ulster aren't going to going to kick on here. And I remember um, talking to Darren Cave on Monday round against the head. He said that like when Ulster scored that, that try and converted it, like, and then they got, a, they got a really lucky call. Remember they, 
they had they almost scored in the corner. Vermeulen was tackling it to touch, but yes. the ball came off a Connacht hand. Yeah, it came off so Matt Hansen. Get the line out. It just also an Ulster line. You're going, oh my god, that's it. And Ulster couldn't get it done. So like they're the ebbs and flow of the game, the swings and roundabouts of it. But you have to think that Connacht were really flying off a close or sailing off a close to the wind. But this, the crucial thing that killed Ulster, the reason they couldn't take advantage was their turnover at the Rook was shocking. I think they had 11 turnovers at the Rook. Literally got turned over. Either they lost the ball or got penalised. And I kept, I knew after 20 minutes it was going to be one of those nights where you're going to struggle at the Rook. And I, I thought, like, the first thing you do as a coach is you get the messages in to tighten up your clean-outs, tighten up your support lines, tighten up everything around the Rook. Because they were using the same system as everybody else, like a ball carrier plus two cleanouts. But that wasn't working. For some reason, Ulster still weren't accurate. And at halftime, you would have had to pivot away and go, okay, we're going to put three support players in the ruck, one ball carrier and three cleanouts. And that should have secured the ball. Now, the trade off there is you've one less attacker on his feet. And maybe you have to run two pods of four instead of two pods of three, you lose two attackers. But the point is, in an emergency situation like that, where you have a really big problem with a huge part of your game, you make the trade-off and you you put an extra, you know, support pair into the rock and make sure you keep the ball. But like Ulster didn't adapt; they just stayed with that one-three-three shape. You know, three, two with the ball carrier, three in a rock, and and like kind of just kept turning them over. And in fact, you know, looking at at, at my notes on the game for for against the head, there was. Even in the last 10 minutes when the game was like, also still could have won the game, they got turned over three times at three different rocks. Massive turnovers. And the irony of it was the final turnover, the end of the game, or the final you know, mistake was a turnover at a rock in front of the kind of post. And I'm thinking, you know, that was fixable. Like that could have been fixed. It wasn't the perfect fix if you put extra support into a rock um, because you have less attackers. But I'd rather have the ball with less attackers than lose it with more attackers. And I just thought Ulster didn't put a fix in. It was a coachable fix. It wasn't a perfect fix. It was just a short-term thing. But in a knockout game, if that part of your game is coming, as, coming asunder, you have to fix it. And they didn't fix it. And it basically cost Ulster the game. Their attack came to nothing. They had one major line break off Balakoon. Um, I think it was Mac Hansen made a great cover tackle. And then they turned it over two rooks later at a rook. So, like, I, I don't want to take any credit from Connacht. I thought it was a super performance. They obviously targeted the rook. Uh, caused mayhem for Ulster, shut down their attack. But you have to think Ulster have to take a lot of the blame themselves for left. You know, uh, so credit to Connacht, but also it's pretty forlorn uh, times up in Ulster after that, I have to say. Birch, from a from a Connacht point of view, though, I mean, the, the accuracy that goes into that coaching detail and for the players as well to execute it out on the pitch, just, to, just around that rock area where even in the first half, like Seamus Hurley-Langton, I think, picked off three turnovers himself, a couple of penalties and one and one clean turnover. Dylan Tierney, Tierney Martin making that one at the end. Connor Oliver and uh, uh, chipped in with another couple. Keen Prendergast had one as well. Like, I mean, it wasn't just one or two players. It was right across that entire pack. And like Mac Hansen came up with another. It was players across the entire pitch who were just so accurate in the way they went about things at the Rock. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you have to, it, like, look, they had to do that. They'll have to do it again. Stormers this weekend. Munster have to take Leinster out of their sink at, at the breakdown, but we haven't seen Ulster being, I suppose, targeted uh, and and smashed in, in in that area. I haven't seen them all season. Other areas of their game have been, you know, good and bad over the course and of the year. Sorry, but... sorry to interrupt. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Up until up until last week, would you have considered Ulster to be a pretty solid team around yeah, that area? Safe. They're safe, and I I would be more critical of their lack of ability to, uh, to bring the strike runners into the game, but I actually didn't really have a, a big concern about their breakdown. Um, and it's the most comprehensive, I suppose, um, tooling that I've seen them get this year. And obviously to happen in a, in a, in a quarterfinal at home is devastating for, for the fans and, and for the players and the management. But I thought Connacht were, were excellent and it was multiple threats. You know, you go into a lot of games and, and the opposition have two jackal threats you know, Tyburn, for example, um, in in Munster or, or Clute when he played. And everybody all week is talking about, you know, dealing with him, getting there before he arrives. Whereas the variety of what Connacht uh, threw at them at the breakdown um, was really impressive. The skill set of the players, the bravery to get in and and, and get that ball before the opposition uh, first arrival. And uh, it was brilliant. And also, 
they stopped the mall. I know they conceded one try, but they dealt with that Ulster mall um, in a way that a lot of the other teams haven't done. And and to be fair to Ulster, it's probably got him out of jail a few times this year. Um, that Thomas there, but Connor did really well. Um, I I, I think Connor was obviously except the fact that they blew a couple of tries. Um, you know, uh, which you would back bank bank on him to uh to score. So look at Ulster looked, they looked pretty. Uh, lack lack of confidence, lack of intensity. It's going to be a long summer for them. Um, but Connacht, you know, it's a great way for Randy Friend to go out and, and like the reality as well. Like they were so excited to get the trip to Cape Town. You know, um, in terms of the way they talked about it, they see this as a brilliant opportunity. Had it been all about all the good to travel down there with backs against the wall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, they'll go down there with nothing to lose. And and the Stormers, well, obviously you would fancy them. They've shown a little bit of weakness this year. Munster obviously beat them. Um, they were a very poor way to Exeter. Um, and also they're quite a, 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 I suppose they're very ambitious teams and they, they go through games in phases. So when they're hot, they're really hot, but they can also make a lot of errors. So Connacht will be looking to capitalise on that and, and likes of Hansen and, and Bundy showing a bit of form as well. Um, you know, Connacht will need their big game players to, to come to the fore. Yeah, and that, that's one thing with the Stormers, Eddie, that Birch pointed out there, that they're as dangerous as they are, and they've been dangerous against the best teams in this league. But there are points in almost every game where they give teams opportunities. We saw you know, in the game against Leinster at the RDS where they were in equal parts brilliant and terrible throughout the game. We saw it against Munster where, you know, they, you know Munster had those purple patches and had those opportunities. And we saw it in the quarterfinal for the Stormers against the Bulls, where it looked like they had the thing sewn up and in the end they they clung on for, for a two-point win. So even if Connacht know that it's going to be incredibly difficult down there, there's there has to be a, a thought in their mind that at certain points in this game, they are going to get opportunities and it's just about whether or not they can take those chances. Yeah, I mean, that's probably... <clears throat> if there's something that's going to worry Connacht um, going down to, to play the Stormers is that... You know, they're underdogs away from home. So in those scenarios, you've got to take your chances. Now, they were underdogs away from home last week and they didn't take all their chances and they still got out of jail. So I think that would worry them as if they they will get chances against the Stormers. There's no question about it. But Kendon nailed them, you know. Um, and for that reason, plus the fact I don't have any pressure on Connacht. Like, you know, Connacht, go down there, just give it a go. It's knockout rugby. It's, you know, win or go home. And... If they happen to pull this off, like it'll be another like it'll be another season for Connacht, like it was back in I think sixteen when they won the they won they won the the Pro fourteen. So like they're they're in they're in bonus territory with all due respect to them in the sense that nobody had Connacht down for uh, a final uh, of the ORC even when even a few weeks ago when we got to the knockout stages, you know. So if they were to make the final now, it would be an incredible story. Um. And it's still, I agree with Bernard, it's possible they could pull it off if they can capitalise on the Stormers when they when they give them those windows of opportunity. And they will get them. Um, but I, I would, that was the only thing that me last week. They had windows of opportunity in Belfast to really punish Ulster. They didn't. And, you know, like, had Ulster managed to score at the very end last Friday night and not Connacht out, it would have been a smash and grab for Ulster, not for Connacht. We'd have thought up there if Connacht win and Ulster it's a smash and grab. It's the other way around. And it would have been rough justice uh, had Connacht lost. But they they should never have been in that position. And the worry, thing worrying me is next weekend is that they must take their chances when they get them. And they will get them. They need to take them. Otherwise, it's not going to happen for them. But still, like it's another interesting game in the sense that... Uh, you 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 want kind of to put it off. You think they can do it, but in your heart, you're saying it, it shouldn't happen. But that's the beauty of the game, you know. I, I agree with Bernard. They will get chances now. Hopefully, they'll take them, you know. And and that that could be it, you know, for kind of. Would it be an incredible journey if they make the the URC final? Um, like coming from a team that you know were just kind of supposed to be making up the numbers in in the knockout stages, you know. And they were down. That they were down. They had to fight so hard this year to even get to the knockout stages. We weren't even sure if they'd be in Europe next year. So everything is kind of coming. You know, they made the knockouts. They're into Europe next year. So this would be the final. This would be the cherry on the cake to make the URC final. 
the the frustration I I would have merch if I was a a Connacht fan is that, you know, it's this point now this this final third of this season is where we've seen this coaching team that's been assembled over the last few years finally actually kind of click together, and it's just about to break up again in in a few more weeks. Randy Friend is moving on. Deval Senegal is is heading to Iona. Mossy Lawler is uh is heading back to Munster and. I don't know. I just have this kind of feeling in the back of my mind that all of a sudden you're starting again a little bit from scratch in, in August and September. Yeah, look, it's it's unfortunate because I think um, they have really kind of shown, um, you know, a, a culmination of all the hard work that those coaches have put in. Friendy, I think, has done a very good job. You know, I think it's brilliant that he's brought them back to the Champions Cup and obviously he's hoping it doesn't end this Saturday. Um blooded a lot of good young homegrown players and I know Eddie Eddie sees them on a week on a, on a regular basis and there's more to come um through that system um but at least Wilkins is staying on uh, you know so there's that continuity um Colin Tucker staying on um obviously it's exciting Muldoon coming back Scott Fardy you know has the potential uh to be a, a an excellent defense coach I understand they're in the market for a backs coach um that uh, is yet to be announced, um, and I think they they missed just missed out on a on a pretty high profile international former international coach there. So that's that would be another boost, you know, to to add a a backs coach to that coaching team. Obviously, you know they've got a gel and they've got to f- work, find a way to to work together. Um, but I do think Senegal and 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 Mossy Lawler and friend, you know, will leave with their. job bringing Connacht to where they're at now it would be some um just to finish up Eddie like I mean it would be some achievement if they were to to cap this off and get the whole way to a URC final yeah I was just saying that it was it would be a, like to be fair like Connacht's Connacht season is rarely going straight lines there's ups and downs you know and I think the great thing from this year was that the tail end of the season uh they really had a, an uphill battle um you know in the URC and effectively, you know, I think in their last, they've won, basically, they 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 won six of their last seven games, mm-hmm. you know, to to get into the playoffs. And even then, they weren't sure of Europe. And you know, so, you know, I'm delighted for them because the start of the season was very tough from because of the whole mistiming of the delaying of the pitch and the sports ground. And all their preseason or all their early season games were like really tough local derbies and stuff. So they. They had a really tough start to the season. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, trying to find your form, but every everybody wants to start the season well, you know, because once you start the season badly, you're pushing a rock up a hill for the rest of the year. And credit where credit is due, they got it done. And um, so now, like, this is the, this is something, this is bonus territory, to be fair. I don't think I'm, it's, 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 uh, it's saying that negative about Connacht. I think if you told them, um, you know, just just the last week before they were knocked, they were getting into the knockout stages. That they'd actually be in a semi final, you know, down in South Africa. They they would have bitten your hand off for that. So and deservedly so. They've they've fought their way to this point. So if they could cap it off now with a final, you would see fine. That'd be amazing. And I I I I agree with Bernard that they you know they do have they they are retaining some of their staff, but I do think. There is always a bit of disruption when people leave like that because the new guys coming in have to get up to speed. Now that doesn't that's not an excuse for a bad season. But the, just remember every coach brings their way of doing things, their philosophy, and that has to get bitted in. So not saying it can't be done or it won't be done either for that matter, but I think it just it just makes it a little more difficult. And there is a certain a little bit of a reboot going on, even you know, with two or three new faces, there's a, a reboot has to happen in terms of well, what they're doing and where they're going. But look. That's the problem for next season. This year, they kind of just keep their, their foot on the pedal here and see what happens. It's 80 minutes of knockout rugby. Anything's possible. Certainly is anything possible. And who knows, we might have an all-Irish uh, URC final between either Leinster or Munster and Connacht. Fingers crossed for that one. But um, So that's Stormers against Connacht. Three o'clock on Saturday afternoon, followed by Leinster and Munster. Aviva. That's half past five, and that's live on RT2 and RT Player. Eddie and Birch, thanks a million for joining us. Um, that's We have more coming up on today's RT Rugby podcast, I should say. We're going to take a quick little break now, and afterwards I'll be speaking to Jameson Gibson Park, so stay tuned for that. Fellas, thank you.
Now, you're very welcome back to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined now by Jameson Gibson Park, who's on board in collaboration with Heineken's Love Rugby campaign, which is encouraging sports fans to enjoy a bit of friendly rivalry this spring as Dublin gets set to host the Heineken Champions Cup final in the Aviva Stadium on Saturday of next week, May 20th. Jameson, thanks a million for joining us on the pod. I hope you're well. No trouble at all, man. Thanks for having me. I understand you've been a busy man lately, not just on the pitch, but off it as well. You've you've had a new arrival in the house as well. Yeah, man, I've got a um, three-week-old, so you can imagine it's pretty busy. I've already got two little girls as well, so um, three's a crowd, as they say. It's keeping us busy, but uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and I often hear a lot of athletes talk about, you know, having young kids in the house and how... It might take your mind off playing Monster at the weekend or taking on La Rochelle in a Champions Cup final when you walk in the door and there's there's a couple of kids who who ultimately <laughs> don't really care who La Rochelle are. They just want to have a few minutes with with Daddy. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's tough to think about anything else. Like you say, when you walk in the door and there's uh, two kids, two busy kids, and then a newborn. So um, at times it's definitely tough to think about anything else. But um, like I say, it's awesome. And sometimes... Uh, a good chance to take your mind away from 40 as you say and it brings everything to perspective as well I'm always um when I'm at Ireland games and at the the big Leinster and or even Munster matches as well or all the provinces after those big days and you do see the the kids down on the pitch after the match I, I remember Johnny Sexton even a few months ago talking about the you know how special those days are when he's bringing his kids out after those matches and I do remember being down pitch side after you won the Grand Slam with Ireland and so many of you had your your families out there. I mean, those look like being the the real special moments and being the being the great days of you know when you're really lucky to be out there and, and being able to share those moments. Oh, undoubtedly, man, it's it's awesome. I think it's it's one of my favorite things of um, I suppose one of my favorite things we get to do really is you know it's a Faz has kind of brought that th- real emphasis on family into Ireland and. Um, like you say, those moments after the after the games and um, even the days following, it's it's pretty wicked eh? and it's a big part of why certainly why I do what what I do. So um, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant and and the kids love it, you know. And my oldest is probably old enough now to kind of understand what's going on, and um, she has mates at school that might see her on TV or whatever, and um, so stuff like that is pretty awesome, eh? And yeah, certainly moments to savor. I can imagine so, and hopefully you get a couple of those moments before the before the end of the season as well. But hopefully, bro. Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned rivalries at the start of this, and an old rivalry coming up this weekend, a newer rivalry ahead of next week. It's it's a pretty busy time all around this this end of the season. Yeah, man, it's flat out. Eh? It's been like a pretty crazy run in when when you look back at it. Um, we obviously had Ulster round of 16, Leicester, Toulouse, and um, they were straight into Sharks, Munster. So it's kind of like a, it's just one one after the other. So, um, But like you say, an, an old rivalry, um, it's a game that we certainly all look forward to. Um, it's a massive one and, you know, it's one that both teams really get up for. So um, you certainly look forward to that on Saturday. And then, like you touched on, a newer rivalry in the following week. So... Um, obviously, Lara Shallow got the better us, better of us the last couple of times out. So, um, again, that should be a, another cracking fixture. Being able to do all of these at the Aviva Stadium must be massive as well. Not not just the fact of being able to play in front of a home crowd, but like there are so many extra little benefits that go with with being able to have that familiarity. That you know everything is normal. It's it's the same same training week. You're not dealing with airports travel sleeping in your own bed, those kind of things, staying on, on the same training schedules. It must be, there must be a, a really good level of comfort and familiarity with the whole thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, like it was something, you know, when it was announced that the final would be in the Vivi, it was a, it was a pretty big carrot for us, obviously. So um, we obviously went hard at it and we, we've done pretty well, I suppose, to get ourselves to this stage now. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's been, a number of games now on the bounce in the Aviva and um, yeah, it's awesome really that, that we've got the chance to do that. And um, yeah, I suppose just the, like you say, the sense of familiarity about the place and um, not to say that you get into like a rhythm, but 
yeah, it certainly feels pretty good to know that you're going to be playing in the Aviva each week. There's been a a funny sense. I might I'll skip ahead, sorry, to the Champions Cup final. But there's a funny there's been a funny sense of fate all season with the way things have gone. Where it seems like Leinster and La Rochelle have almost been on this collision course, and it's funny the way the knockouts even went. Where it was, it was one of the provinces in the last sixteen. It was Leicester Tigers in the quarterfinal, Toulouse in the semi. I mean, almost the exact same route. Just swap Connacht in for uh, Connacht <laughs> yeah. in for Ulster in comparison to last year. Um, how how much has it been on your minds about maybe not getting a rematch against La Rochelle, but at the very least getting back there to be able to prove a point in in the final after what happened last year? Yeah, massive. Eh? Like, um, obviously they got the better of us pretty well last year in the final, and um, those moments are tough to forget. Certainly the ones that you know the final whistle and. Um, even in the changing room after and the days preceding is is pretty tough and ones you kind of look back on and you probably remember those more fondly than than uh, than the ones um, they really stick with you so um, that was obviously a big driver for us you know to to try and uh, get back there again and um, we've done that now and but you know the the final is the biggest one it's the hardest one to win so um, it's going to be a massive couple of weeks obviously. Munster firstly, and then uh, into La Rochelle. So um, they certainly don't get any easier, but um, yeah, we're pretty keen to get stuck into it, I suppose. And obviously you're contending across multiple competitions again this year. And it was something that Leo Cullen spoke about last week where, you know, a lot of Leinster people, a lot of people will talk just mainly about the Champions Cup, but it's clear two trophies is, is what you want this year. Like you joined, what, 2016, Last year would have been your your first trophyless season since since your first season. You would have picked up one pretty much every year across those four or five campaigns. Like it must have must have felt a little bit weird and incredibly deflating finishing up the season and not having anything to show for it. Yeah, oh you bang on, man. That ball's defeat as well was one that sticks. Obviously it was at home in the RDS and in front of our our home fans and friends and family and we just we didn't show up that day. Um and like I say, those ones probably stick with you more than than some of the wins. So um, that one again, and obviously the involvement now of the South African teams has made the URC, I think, so much more difficult to win. So um, we'll see how Connacht get on down there at the weekend. But um, yeah, we have, we've obviously got Munster to get past first to get into the final. So um, that's no easy feat. But yeah, certainly I think the involvement of the South African teams is, has made it a better competition overall for sure. And um they they got one up the balls got one up on us in, in the RDS, so um it's not often we lose there and um yeah, that's that's certainly those kind of ones that, that stick with you. There's a lot of change coming in Leinster over the summer. Stuart Lancaster leaving, Johnny's going to be retiring, you'll have Jack Nienaber coming in. How important is it for you? Has it been spoken about as a group as well, about wanting to send people off on a high and like I know I know there's obviously the core that the team is staying the same and, you know, Leo Collins still there, but there's, there's a lot of change and it does feel like a bit of a, a new era starting next year. Yeah, for sure, man. It's um, probably not something we've touched on massively, but um, I think maybe that's probably a little to do with, with Johnny, the way it kind of finished up and his injury and whatever. Um, we're obviously gutted to be missing him and, uh, a few other lads probably finishing up as well and then Stu moving on so yeah like you say it probably is kind of feels like you know Stu's been there seven years now and um, it's kind of coming to an end but um, I think you know those guys for sure like Johnny and, and Stu they certainly deserve to go out and on winning terms so um, it'll, it'll be a, a driving factor for us for sure but um, there's a lot of other things you have to get right to to get the victory. So I think we'll be fully focused on that first and maybe enjoy the celebrations later if we can get the job done. Hmm. You've obviously got to know Johnny very well on the pitch playing inside him all this time. Um, How have you, how how has that partnership gone? Like, did it take a while for you to, to gel with him, trying to figure out what his movements are, for him to figure out what your movements are and just kind of get on the same wavelength? Or, or did you feel it was something that came quite naturally? Um... Yeah, took years really, I think. <laughs> but that was probably more to do with like my position in the team, you know. Lukey was 
number one for a long time and I was, I was kind of playing second fiddle to him so probably didn't play a lot of rugby with Johnny and until probably the last three years really so um but yeah once once I played a bit with him and you know you get a bit of tra training cohesion and all that kind of stuff and obviously get to know him so much through you know what he delivers in meetings and all that kind of stuff so um but yeah man it's been an awesome journey to to kind of play alongside him for for these last number of years and um looking forward to hopefully a few more and how has he been as as a captain at the moment like how involved is he being on a on a week to week level is he kind of kind of fulfilling the captain's role almost but maybe a little bit closer to game day taking a step back yeah i think he's pretty conscious of that eh? that that uh the other guys like gary um cheese james ryan and, and lukey you know i think he's you know they're pretty great leaders in their own right so he's happy to take a step back and um not only them but obviously the rest of the leadership group as well so i think he's pretty pretty good with that stuff you know like if if they need anything or any of us for that matter need anything with um, you know he's only a phone call away so um but yeah he's he's getting stuck into his rehab i know he's doing a lot of work with Anna anderson the new uh the rehab guy on HPC. So he's in a good bit around floating around Leinster, but um, yeah, like I say, I think he's, he's pretty keen to just take a step back and, uh, and let the other boys get into it. And then the, the other out half who's, who's stepped in and has been doing a, a fantastic job this season, Ross Byrne, like he's, he started every one of those champions cup campaigns and it feels like he's, he's very much kind of made this, made this his campaign. What have you seen that the growth in him in, in the last few years, obviously he's got his um, he's got his run back in with Ireland. He's you know his international career is back on track. Did from what you were seeing, like has has he improved considerably this year, or has he just kind of had a better better rub of the green, a better bit of luck to to get back into the international mix? Um, yeah, I think it's always been the same for me with Rossi. Obviously, like we played a lot together in my first few years, um, and he's come on massively as a leader since then, but. Probably like in the last three, four years, he's been a massive leader in the team and he really runs the show week to week, like in the games that he's involved in. So he's pretty much like, you know, he's like Johnny Easner on another coach with the way that he prepares the plays and um, the way he connects with all the other coaches. Um, so that for me hasn't really changed massively over the last four years, probably for Ross, but he, like you say, he's got more of a, probably an opportunity in the bigger games and um but yeah, like I touched on, he's he's pretty incredible, really. The way he, Harry's much the same, actually. They're pretty good at, um, you know, they watch like a load of rugby. They know the rugby very well, and they understand what we're coming up against most of the time. And um, they connect brilliantly well with Andrew Goodman, our new our new backs coach, like like they did with Felipe as well. So um, yeah, he's got a pretty pretty awesome game understanding, and I think a lot of that is probably down to working with Johnny over the years as well. Yeah, it's funny, I. I a lot of the time I see people talking about him and there seems to be a perception maybe that he, he might be quiet, he might be shy, but I've always got the impression maybe that's because people look at Johnny Sexton and him being such a, a vocal figure. I've never really got the impression that Ross Byrne was a shrinking violet or anything like that. <laughs> no, he's far from it, man. <laughs> Finally then, before we finish up, on your own game, it's been a kind of a strange season for you where you've had a handful of little, small little niggly injuries, but... I suppose that the flip side and the positive side is that you've kind of hit the ground running every time you've come back. It hasn't really taken you a handful of games to get your game speed back up. Like you must be pretty pleased with, with where your game is at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, like you touched on, it was pretty frustrating start to the year, especially with, with the injury and uh, missing the first few games, but obviously I was able to get back for the autumns and um, yeah, I suppose testament really to the, the rehab teams in both, Leinster and Ireland um, done a great job of getting me back both times. So, uh, yeah, but I'm relatively happy with how things are going and um, hopefully can crack on in the next few weeks. Yeah, so hopefully three, three, three game weeks over the next three weeks, hopefully three victories, a couple of trophies, <laughs> a few weeks off and then into the big stuff of World Cup preparation, hopefully. Is that how the, the timeline is hopefully going for you? That's ideal, man. <laughs> There's obviously a lot of hard work to do, but um, yeah, looking forward to it for sure.
it's a very simple game when you just lay it out like that. Three wins, a <laughs> couple of victories, two yeah. trophies, and finish up on that. Jameson, thanks a million for talking to us, and uh, very best of luck this weekend against Munster and next week in the Champions Cup final as well. Pleasure, Neil. Thanks for having me, man.